Well, for the nation of Israel, oh man, the Passover, what a, an amazing moment. And then to see what God did to thrust them forth. And then the, the tremendous deliverance at the Red Sea. That big group deteriorated pretty quickly. So join with me to look at Exodus chapter 15. Exodus chapter 15. We have the beginning of this chapter, one of the great uh, songs in the Word of God, inspired and uh, glorious as the nation of Israel. Can you imagine them singing of the glorious victory over uh, Pharaoh and, and his armies there at the Red Sea? And uh, there's just such joy. I mean, this was beyond what they could have ever dreamed, and they know that they have now been freed from the hold of Egypt and they know that the Canaanites are trembling. This is something that only the God of heaven could do. So it was a wonderful, wonderful time. And you would think the next couple of chapters would just be glorious, speaking of their encouragement and the tremendous times of fellowship they're having. However, not so. Uh, these were folks like new Christians, like all of us, God delivers. God delivers us from the world. We take steps of faith. But then we face some of the challenges of, uh, of uh, going forward for the Lord. And we're going to look today at God's maturing process. God's maturing process. And uh, I trust this will be a help as we look at this because it's very applicable to us as believers. Verse 23 and when they came to Marah, they could not drink of the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore the name of it was Marah. And the people got together and prayed and believed. Oh, I'm sorry, that's the wrong translation. Um, you would have thought they would have done that. No. And the people murmured against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried unto the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree which, when he had cast into the waters, the waters were made sweet. There he made for them a statute and an ordinance, and there he proved them. And he said, If thou wilt diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God, and wilt do that which is right in his sight, and will give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of these diseases upon thee, which I have brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that healeth thee. And they came to Elam, where there were twelve wells of water, and threescore and ten palm trees, and they encamped there by the waters. Well, they come through the waters of the Red Sea. Over two million people, a tremendous deliverance. The army of Egypt wiped out. No longer was Egypt the picture of the world a threat to them. It was a victory that was so great that they spent the time rejoicing and singing. They start moving to the east. They're in the upper part of the Sinaitic Peninsula. We don't know exactly where they are. These different names are hard to correspond to later, uh, uh, to later times. But they're moving out and away from the Red Sea. And so they uh, come to Mara. And uh, the waters there they could not drink. Back up in verse 23. 
In fact, if you look at verse 22, I should have started there. So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea and they went out in the wilderness of Shur. That was on the northern end of the Sinaic Peninsula down along the side of, of the Red Sea there, actually heading then south uh, east to the Mount Sinai. And they were, they were three days in the wilderness and found no water. Now, before we get too hard on them, this was a trial. I mean, they're not carrying big tanks of water on trucks. Okay. You've got two million people in the hot wilderness. You've got thousands of herds of various types of animals there. And, uh, and so they're moving ahead for three days and they found no water. Whatever containers they had were, have been clearly used up. And it was dry. Now, folks, if you know anything about not having hydration in hot temperatures, in dry temperatures, this was going to become a serious matter for them. It's uh, very few. Some of you probably have stories of when you were without water in a more of an emergency situation. And if anything will bring panic, uh, it's the matter of knowing that you're not hydrated and that you are seriously uh, in a matter of life and death after a point. So that's what they were facing to some extent. Now, it was just three days. Now, what we need to realize is that when we have a great victory, God wants to mature us. He is more interested in keeping us moving forward and becoming more like Him and being able to have a life full of purpose and meaning than He is for everything to go well. You know, somehow we think we get saved and we have some great deliverances and now my Christian life is going to be a bed of roses. Well, I just want to remind you that roses have thorns. Okay, and uh, there will be tests because God wants to help us grow. So the certainty of testing is clearly seen in just what occurs uh, here. And by the way, the test of the Red, Red Sea, they could have come up and over it if you look at uh, a map. But instead, God put them right up against the western coast of the Red Sea, with the armies coming down and mountains, as we've said, to the south and to the west. And God allowed them by his leadership to be boxed in. And in this case, God was still leading them. Remember, they would set up camp when the cloudy pillar, that glorious light of the cloud of God during the day and the, and the burning fire at night, it would, it would stop and then... They would set up their camp and it would be in the center of the camp. And then when the cloudy pillar moved, they would break camp. And of course, it was a big thing to do that. And then they would follow the pillar. So, yes, three days in the wilderness without water is a big deal. But there's the cloud. There's the leadership of God. You see, God wanted them to trust him more than their circumstances because it was going to be very important for them, and you'll see that in this passage, that they would learn to trust his word. This was going to be the key for the growth and the problems uh, of Israel, and that would be in how much they would depend upon God and then when they would depend upon themselves. 
And so our flesh naturally questions the lack of provision. Now they saw the pillar of, uh, of fire by night and the cloudy pillar during the day, but they didn't have water. We have the Holy Spirit. We have the Word of God. We face a trial. Our flesh doesn't like it. And it is always going to question. And you know what we're tempted to do? We're tempted to try and solve our problems uh, the same way. Uh, they, uh, uh, they murmured. Uh, they were frustrated. And uh, they might have even, we don't have record of this, they might have even tried to dig, uh, dig wells like they did around the Nile when it was blood, had turned to blood. I don't know. But nothing was working. And, um, and so instead of trusting the Lord, I joked about it when I read the passage, but they had just seen God work. Literally three days before, the, a miracle that would be referred to centuries later by the ancient peoples of the Near East, and yet three days without water. Yes, it's a panic situation, but God was there. What were they going to do? There is a battle, folks, as Galatians 5.16 says, This I say, then walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh, for the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary the one to another, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. Now, folks, we can live in regular dependence upon the Spirit of God, have a genuine belief, have peace, have that great confidence that God's going to work and see Him give us victory over the flesh. Or we can panic, we can get frustrated, we can get unhappy with our circumstances. When the trial comes, if it doesn't go our way, we can begin to look to ourselves and look for our solutions. And at that moment, then the flesh has the upper hand and we are in trouble. And we've got to understand we very quickly forget what God has done. Uh, I oftentimes in our different prayer meetings that we have, I like to list out, let's just talk again about what God has done. I have a, that's why I love the promises section in the um, hour with God. That section is so crucial because I love to go down. In fact, I thought about a couple of the miracles that, today that God has done here in our church as I was going down the verses that God uh, gave us at that time to remember I could trust God back then. I can trust God now. And God wants me to rest upon Him. God wants us to learn patience. The trying of your faith worketh patience. That means enduring faith. That's the idea of endurance. In other words, God wants us to develop a spiritual relationship that is not based on circumstances. It is based upon the Word of God, and we're trusting the Word, and we're resting on that, and we're having fellowship with God, even though at that moment the things that we need are not really materializing. And we're having to, have to just purely trust the Lord. But oftentimes we complain. Now the Lord wants us to talk to Him. The Lord wants us to be honest with Him. But you know, so often we are upset about our situation. We don't like the way things are happening. We certainly maybe don't like the way people are treating us. And we grumble. 
C.H. Spurgeon said, as long as a man is alive and out of hell, he cannot have any cause to complain. <laughs> That's all you got to remember. Friend, before you were saved, if you're saved here tonight, you were headed to an eternity in hell. You are in good shape. You're headed to heaven. And yes, you may be running into some problems. Some of you may have a secret thing right now that you found out about that's really an ache on your heart. There may be a trial that all of a sudden has come upon you, maybe even today, and that nothing right now seems very good. You know what those moments are like. But turn to the Lord and remember, the God that saved me loves me. He's testing my faith because he wants me to develop a stronger relationship with him. That's what he was doing here with these people. And if I will get back to trusting him, I will begin experiencing God. Now, let me just say one thing to newer Christians and to older Christians too. When we're not walking in the Spirit or before we are saved and we have problems What's the natural inclination of human life? Cope. Escape. Do something to make yourself feel better. From drinking to parties to drugs uh, to, uh, to viewing, entertainment, uh, shopping. That one will get over pretty quickly. Gambling. All the things that bring adrenaline. Uh, your brackets. <laughs> That's depressing. Don't do that. Don't, I don't even, I never fill in brackets. All the wrong people win, you know. But uh, anyway, but it is interesting. It was funny on the plane coming back yesterday, everybody was, you know, they're watching their favorite team. I hear a groan, oh no, you know. And, and so I'm, that person has money on theirs. <laughs> There's no doubt about it. Uh, I mean, the whole plane was just, I mean, they're just, I, I couldn't believe it. You couldn't talk to anybody. They were, they were fixed on uh, uh, the games, but escape, escape, escape. Now, what happens when you get saved or you start walking with God and you're, and it's just glorious when you're walking with Him? Um, you can be tempted when a problem comes to go out the wrong window. You're not going to go cope the way that God told you to stop coping, so you just get discouraged. I have found uh, believers can get discouraged. Because they're so used to coping. And so they sink into themselves. And, uh, and can murmur. Just exactly like these folks did here. And so we, we need to realize that God is wanting us to trust him. For tribulation will work patience. And we're going to see here it's going to work experience. And we're going to be learning what God can do. So let's look at the second aspect here, the purpose of the testing. In verse 25, they murmured and they cried to the Lord, and uh, the Lord delivered. Now it's very interesting here. God loves to show us divine intervention, experience, as Romans chapter 5 talks about. And uh, it's so interesting in reading the commentaries. Uh, they're all trying to find some kind of tree that would solve this problem. Now, what you have in that part of the world, like with the Dead Sea, you have high mineral content and a combination of minerals that you just can't drink that water. I mean, you have to be almost dead uh, and have to have something liquid uh, to drink it, and it's not healthy for you. That's what they were dealing with. 
there's no tree that's going to solve that problem. It's amazing how everybody wants a natural solution. I like what one commentator said, can't we just see it like the rod of Moses over the Red Sea? God said, get that, get that branch, throw it in the water, and I'll heal it. I want you to obey me, and then you'll see what I can do. I like, I like that kind of uh, simple faith uh, by that. But that's exactly what happened. And so there's a tree cast it in the waters, and immediately the mineral content was gone. That's a miracle. That's an amazing miracle. The waters were made sweet. There he made for them a statue and an ordinance. There he proved them. He told them what to do. Do you realize throwing the tree in the water was his word? And Moses obeyed his word, and they saw God blessed. Simple lesson, isn't it? And uh, he's trying to teach them the importance that God will work if we do it his way rather than our way. And he loves uh, to show his provision. And uh, we need to learn the joy and the peace that God gives. Philippians 4.19, But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. The Lord Jesus said, pray there in that model prayer for your daily bread, and he will provide. I'm telling you, the righteous will never have to beg bread. God says so. You talk to missionaries who are in very difficult places in the world, and you will see Godly believers in those very difficult conditions who even give, they believe in tithing on what they have, very little, but in those situations you may find the deprivation of all the people around, but there is just amazing miracles of God's care for his people. He doesn't forget anyone. It's one of the sweet things that I've seen over the years. So he's endeavoring to get us to trust him and to uh, to cause us to trust his word. And so that's the key there. Underline that in verse 25. And there he proved them. God loves for us to prove that his word is true. An older Christian woman was a custom, according, again, I'm quoting Spurgeon, to make marginal notes in her Bible. And she placed against one text a T and a P. The pastor asked her what they meant, and she said, tried and proved. For I tried that promise on such and such occasion and found it to be true. And uh, how many T and P could you put in your Bible that you depended upon, not even just a promise, God's command, God's directive, what he's uh, said about life. You have tried it and you have proven it to be true. How many can honestly say, I don't think you'll mind me asking this, you have tried on this matter of knowing that uh, God has asked for the tithe and to give, and you have proved that God has taken care of you. How many of you can say that? Isn't that great? All right. That is a marvelous thing. That's a real thing, isn't it? You can put a lot of T's and P's in all of those different areas there. And uh, matter of child rearing, different principles. Uh, on and on you can go. Uh, and so God wants us to 
uh, to trust his word over human evaluation. One writer said, as you read them over one after the other, you say to yourself, this is my checkbook. I can take out the promises as I want them, sign them by faith, present them at the great bank of grace, and come away enriched with present help in time of need. That is the way to use God's promises. God loves for you to prove him. Now, obviously, we're not talking about selfish, wrong motives. I'm talking about a sincere Christian who is growing in the Lord. When you come to that three days of no water, when you come to that brick wall, that proverbial brick wall, when you come to the place where you see your weakness, that you can't solve that problem, that's exactly the moment because you have the same pillar, uh, glorious cloud, the Spirit of God in your life right now, as in dwelling in your spirit, you can at that point claim the promises of God that apply to that and you will prove God and God's word to be true. Folks, we need to have that kind of faith. You know, I, I, uh, I love it when I see dads and moms that just believe God. They're faithful to God's work. They're faithful uh, to, to put priorities where they ought to be. Uh, men and women make sure that what they're doing even in life is not going to take away from uh, really serving God and glorifying Him. And I tell you, that steady faithfulness, believing God, they have one evidence after another. And I tell you, children come out of homes like that having seen firsthand that their God is true and He's real. And that's again what He was endeavoring, God was doing here. And uh, so we need to to truly uh, believe him. And then he says in verse 26, if thou wilt diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord, if you will be focused on knowing what God says and depending upon him, trusting in him for the grace, and will do that which is right in his eyes and will give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of these diseases upon thee which I have brought upon the Egyptians for I am the Lord that healeth thee. What you saw in the plagues, that's not going to happen to you. What you have seen even with the problems that the Egyptians, because of their paganism and their lifestyle, what you have seen uh, that is from my hand in judging them, that's not going to happen to you. I will take care of you. And my friends, let me just say this. God allows trials physically even in our lives. He's wanting to prove us that, he, that we can trust him. Did you know that most of the time that trial will be, be one in which you'll see God's hand take care of that? God still does heal. God still does answer prayer. God does do miracles. And when God gives peace not to pray about that, God's doing something even greater like the thorn in the flesh and it'll be a, even a greater miracle because you know what God is doing. And in every case, you are not left out on your own. You can trust God. But folks, we need to get back to, to, to believing that God does care about our lives. And um, eventually, we will have to go home to be with the Lord. There'll be something. <laughs> uh, but, you know, the Lord is pleased. The Lord is so pleased for us to ask him. Prove him. Prove me now. Prove me. That's what he's saying. 
Now, look at verse 27. I love this. He regularly meets our needs. And they came to Elam where, where were 12 wells of water and threescore and ten palm trees, and they encamped there by the waters. There are different places in which there's more water in the Sinaitic Peninsula, and they're not exactly sure uh, where this is. But the point is that uh, if we will follow him, most of the time he's providing on a regular basis. Uh, we haven't worried about our next meal. We haven't worried about enough water. Now we might have that come, but uh, God will take care of us. And most of the time he brings us beside the still waters. He literally takes care of us. And so they camped out there. He tested them at the bitter water. And they didn't pass the test, but they did obey then. And the, and the log went in and the waters were cured and they saw what God could do. And then in his graciousness, he gives us seasons of when he takes care of us. Aren't you thankful for that? He never tests you above that which you're able. And if he's testing you, he's wanting to draw your, you close to him. He's wanting to grow you. He's wanting to develop you. But he's a good God. He just provides. You know, one thing you need to do, it's so important. Thank God every day for all the things that he's done for you. A discipline that I have been very strong about in my own personal life is I go from the minute I get up in the morning to that night and even how, how I slept. And I thank God for each step of the way. And you know, when you do that with it just being the day before, there's a lot of little things that you can easily forget. God did that. He worked that out. He was so great. You know, you think about it. 99% of the time, he's got you by the, the good waters, right? Think about it. He, and then when you hit the trial, just remember, he's taking care of me. This is for my good. Now, I'm going to, I am not going to grumble. I'm not going to complain. This is exactly what I need right now. And I know God's doing something good. And Lord, thank you that you've got me by the palm trees most of the time. And I'm a little bit out in the hot desert right now, but that's okay, because you're always good to me. I hope you catch it. This is important. Don't forget how good he's been when it doesn't seem that he's good at that moment. He's being even better to you at that moment, but you're going to have to step back and let the Spirit of God show you through the Word of God what he's doing in your life. Number three, the necessity of testing. God continues because he's wanting us to keep learning and growing. You'd think they'd learn the lesson, wouldn't you, from verses 22 to 27. Do you think they did? How well did you do on learning your first couple of lessons? I don't know about you, but I've had to be dealt with a few times over my life, okay? And, uh, well, here we go again, chapter 16. And they took their journey from Elam, and all the congregation of the children of Israel came unto the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, heading down toward Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after the departing out of the land of Egypt. They left 30 days before. They have been out now 30 days. And the whole congregation is rejoicing in the Lord. Well, here we go again. Sorry for that translation. And the whole congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. By the way, dads and moms, Sunday school teachers, preachers, whoever, you need to understand whenever you are leading on behalf of the Lord in the God-given position, 
when things don't go right, you just need to expect, huh, uh, that's where it sort of targets. So dad, don't get hurt when your kids grumble. Lead them lovingly, firmingly, and biblically. Same way, mom, don't have thin skin. Realize you're part of their growing process. And you've heard me say it over and over, never, never, never get hurt by your children. You are there to help them uh, grow in the Lord. Moses and Aaron had to continually take this, and only one time did Moses uh, show the anger. And, of course, God used him as an example at that point. But he realized that he was standing in the stead of the Lord. And, uh, and so anytime you're in spiritual leadership, discipleship, I mean somebody you're working with can turn on you. Uh, Bible study leaders or somebody that's working in another kind of uh, spiritual setting and just direct them to the Lord and pray it through and guide and direct and mentor. It's amazing how God can turn that into a great learning lesson. Well, uh, they murmured against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness and the children of Israel said unto them, Would to God we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the flesh pots and when we did eat bread to the full for ye have brought us forth into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Now we've got hunger problems. Then said the Lord from Moses, well let me stop here. Took a little longer to run out of food. And, uh, but now they had run out of food. Two million people? Ladies, can you imagine a potluck for that many? It's bad enough when we have a full church potluck here as it is or try to cook for them. I don't know how our kitchen does it with the sweet spirits they have. It's a big deal. But all right, lay a table out for two million. That's going to be quite the interesting time. And so the food ran out pretty quickly. And, uh, you know, you can get by with the hunger a little easier than thirst. And so God's letting them face another trial because he wants to show them their flesh dependence. We naturally are flesh dependent and we don't trust the Lord. We forget the lessons that we learn. Our hearts need to be revealed. Verse 4, Then said the Lord unto Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a certain rate every day, that I may prove them whether they will walk in my law or not. Now let me stop there. He proved them the first time. Obviously, their attitude showed their deep need and their lack of trust in the Lord. But he proved them by throw the tree in. This time, he's going to prove them in a very simple way. We're not going to go into the whole uh, chapter on this. But he's going to give manna every morning for six days. They were not to take more than they needed for one day. Is that the natural way we, our selfish perspective is, man, gather as much as you can? And, of course, some would gather, we see in the passage, and then they had worms the next morning. But they were not to go out on the Sabbath day. God meant to keep that holy, and so they were to gather two, two times as much. And, of course, God dealt with those that went out on the Sabbath. He is really bearing in on Trust my word. Whatever I say, wherever I lead, whatever I, I am, in, am encouraging you to do, you can trust me. Now, folks, I know this is so simple, but this is where our problem is. We don't really trust him. If we did, we wouldn't have all this anxiety. You wouldn't have all that heartache. You wouldn't be all that frustrated. 
I'm telling you, you can get in your life to a, a life of sweet daily peace in the Lord if you truly believe that God means what He says and follow it. Verse 5, and it shall come to pass, as I've already mentioned some of this, that on the sixth day they shall prepare that which they bring in, and it shall be twice as much as they gather daily. And Moses and Aaron said unto all the children of Israel, At even then ye shall know that the Lord hath brought you out from the land of Egypt, and in the morning then shall ye see the glory of the Lord, for that he heareth your murmurings against the Lord, and what are we that ye murmur against us? And Moses said, This shall be when the Lord shall give you in the evening flesh to eat, and in the morning bread to the full, for that the Lord heareth your murmurings which ye murmur against him, and what are we? Your murmurings are not against us, but against the Lord. Now God was going to do something very, very wonderful. He was going to provide manna in the morning and quails at night. And they were going to get all that they need. For over two million people in the wilderness, what a God. What a God. But they were murmuring about it. I've given this illustration, but I think it's so good. An elderly woman was greatly distressed by her many troubles, both real and imaginary. Members of her family lovingly said, Grandma, we've done all we can for you. You'll have to trust the Lord for the rest. A look of hopelessness pervaded Grandma's face as she forlornly asked, Oh dear, has it come to that? <laughs> I'm afraid many believers are in the Spain spot. Oh no, does it mean, you mean I have to really trust the Lord? Folks, that's, that is the place to be. And that's why most of the time we're by the palm trees. But God wants us to learn to trust Him. And God will provide. John 15, 4, we have to understand that. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine. No more can ye except ye abide in me. That is the key. We, God wants us to rely on Him for our daily needs. And so, here you see this wonderful provision. And the glory of the Lord was going to give them what they need. And, uh, and God was going to prove them whether or not they would obey Him and trust Him. But I want to conclude with this, folks. What God is trying to do when He allows trials to come is that last phrase of verse 8. But against the Lord. What is the sin that sends a person to hell? Say, well, there's a lot of sins, Pastor. No, there's one sin that sends every person to hell. Unbelief. What's the one sin that keeps Christians out of a place of blessing, communion with God, the fullness of God's purpose in their life, there's one sin that holds back every believer. Unbelief. We often quote in the great faith passage, uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, for without faith it is impossible to please God. For we must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. The worst thing in the world is when a child does not trust his parent. It's an affront to the parent if the parent truly is a loving and very consistent parent. But there's something awful about a believer 
who doesn't trust their Heavenly Father. So he proves us. These tests are important to see whether we'll believe God's Word, whether we'll obey it, keep it, really value it, agree with it in our hearts and minds. He is wanting us to come to a place where we stop trusting ourselves. That's, listen, every problem you and I have, every one of those have come from our lack of trusting God and doing it instead our way. Listen, Christians have the solution for anxiety, depression, and fears. There are things in lives, of course, that have to be helped in that regard. But the key to it all is to genuinely draw nigh to God, and God will work. There was a king who had a son to whom he gave a yearly allowance. Now, this was a story that's told by a teacher when asked by a student, well, why didn't the Lord just give for a whole month or a whole year all the manna that Israel needed? And uh, this parable was given. Uh, he, he gave the son a yearly allowance, paying him the entire sum on the fixed date. It soon happened that the day on which the allowance was due was the only day of the year the father ever saw the son. So the king changed his plan and gave his son day by day that which was sufficient for the day. Guess what? His son visited him every morning. <laughs> and God has to do that for us. Listen, if everything went perfectly, you wouldn't need God. You'd be, you'd be absolutely trapped and imprisoned by your self-confidence and your self-dependence. You would miss out on the glory of knowing God, miss out on the miracles of life. You would miss out on why you're here on this planet right now as a believer. So God normally keeps us by the wonderful waters and the palm trees. But sometimes he lets us get thirsty so that we'll learn about the living waters. Sometimes he lets us get hungry so that he can feed us. Sometimes we have to face our mortality so we'll wake up to who he is. Folks, don't get too hard on Israel. We're just like that. But we don't have to be. We have the completed word of God. We have the indwelling spirit. And we can live a consistent life of trust in God's maturing process. But I just want to encourage you. Some of you are in trials right now. Some of you may face a new trial this week. Would you stop and say, Lord, thank you for all you've done. And I want you to know, Lord, my flesh doesn't like this, but I'm going to receive this from your hand. Would you teach me what I should do and teach me the lesson I need to learn? And I'm going to choose to love you and trust you through this trial. Friends, God will do, just do wonderful things. Don't let the trial go on and on. Get frustrated and murmur and get upset and let yourself react or get depressed or escape or whatever uh, are the things that happen. But make that a real rule of your life. And you know one of the ways you can make that happen? Spend that time, that extended time with God every day. As you face the trial, you know you're going to rest your heart in a good amount of time, up to an hour a day or more, where you really talk to God. And you'll be amazed. You can keep going forward in the will of God. And God will do great and mighty things. So God, in his kindness, let them go three days without water. Let them go some weeks without food. So they would learn that he is a God.